Hello everyone, good morning. My name is Caleb Collins and I'm a student ministry leader here at Church in the Valley. So glad you guys have joined us. It is a real blessing to be together, uh, even online. Uh, I just also want to wish you guys a happy Independence Day. Happy 4th of July. You can think back to uh, maybe some positive memories you have of this day growing up. Uh, I know I can. Swimming in the lake at my uncle's house in North Carolina was always fun. Playing with sparklers, like writing your name drawing weird lines and then them staying there after you moved your hand. Fourth of July was always always a lot of fun for me growing up. Uh, and I, I hope it was for you too and hope this one will be as well. Uh, but if we flash back about 246 years ago, it was a very different scene uh, for our nation uh, before the first Fourth of July. What you would find if we went back in time was that the American colonists were just, they had a lot of tension with the motherland, with England. They were at their wit's end. They had tried to be reasonable and appeal for some assistance from King George III, um, but instead what they got was uh, usurpation, uh, punishment, control, uh, taxation without representation. Maybe you heard some of that in your history classes growing up. Uh, but it was definitely, like I said, a tense time in our nation's history. And after a series of intolerable acts and further ignored petitions to the king uh, for, for some resolution to these problems, representatives from each colony, they met in the first and then the second Continental Congress to discuss breaking ties with Britain. And they eventually ratified a document putting into words their anger and betrayal that the colonists felt towards the king of England. They were reasoning that the king had violated rights that only God could give and therefore only God should be able to take away. And such rights like life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. These they called inalienable rights. So 56 representatives from the 13 colonies, they signed the document known today as the Declaration of Independence. And thereby helping to birth a nation and simultaneously putting their own lives and livelihoods on the line for the cause of American freedom. For by signing their names, they made themselves out to be rebels and therefore targets of England. Whether we recognize it or not, we celebrate national holidays, specifically the 4th of July, because of the sacrifice of others to bless those who would come behind them. And as we continue in our Bible Stories message series today, we're going to focus on a group of friends who did just that. They stuck together in a difficult and oppressive time to make a difference for their people, for the kingdom of God, and ultimately for the world. And the story of these men... Their names are Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, or more commonly known as Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And this can be found in the Old Testament book of the Bible named Daniel, which highlights a difficult period in the history of God's people in which the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar defeated the southern kingdom of Judah and carried the people off into exile. And once in exile, these four men that we just mentioned, they were distinguished and they were described as youths without blemish of good appearance, skillful in wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competence to stand in the king's palace. And they were to be taught the literature and language of the Chaldeans. Daniel and his friends were being groomed to be the future leaders in the kingdom of Babylon. Yet time and time again, these four are seen taking a stand for righteousness in the face of great pressure. And for their boldness, God honors them. Something we see clearly in the first six chapters of Daniel is that godly friendships have the power to withstand tyrannical rulers. In Daniel chapter 1, Daniel and his friends, they request not to abide by the regulated 
Babylonian diet as this would cause them to break God's prescribed dietary laws to them. And though it was a risk to deviate from the king's ruling, these young men stood together and they were eventually distinguished to be ten times above the rest of their peers in every matter of wisdom and understanding. In chapter 2, the friends come together again to resist this massive execution order given from the king who was angered because he had this dream and it disturbed him. He calls the wise men in and says, tell me my dream and then tell me its interpretation. They appeal and say, we don't know your dream. Tell us your dream. Whole big debacle, his result. I'll kill all the wise men in Babylon. This affects Daniel and his friends. So Daniel wisely goes and he asks what the problem is and then for some time to take the matter to the Lord. And what does he do? He doesn't just take it to the matter, take the matter to the Lord by himself. He brings it to his friends. And they decide to ask God for mercy. They pray together and God reveals the dream and the interpretation of the king to Daniel. And as a result of this revelation and uh, talking to the king about it and appeasing him, uh, they're all promoted. And they don't just save their own lives. They save the lives of all the wise men in the kingdom. Finally, in Daniel chapter 3, when the king makes a statue and demands that everyone bow down and worship it or be thrown into a fiery furnace, we again see the young men standing together to resist the tyrannical powers at hand as they refuse to bow the knee towards any god but their own. Daniel 3.12 recounts a group of people tattling on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to the king. And they say, There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon. They're likely jealous of their position. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Don't you love a tattletale? So the word is out. These Jews, they stood together and they resisted the empire as a team. In each of these three scenarios that we just discussed, it highlights the truth that Ecclesiastes 4.12 says as well. And I'll read that for you now. And it says, And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Through their close-knit and God-centered friendships, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, were able to resist the mandates from the king and remain faithful to God. This truth might seem obvious to many, as the old phrase goes, two heads are better than one. But yet how many people do not want or ask for help? How many people live alone, work alone, and make big decisions alone? Many people simply lack close-knit relationships where they can give and receive wise counsel, where they can be honest about a decision and get feedback. But this is what leads to success in life, as shown here with the four friends amidst their captivity. It's also part of the heart attitudes here at Church in the Valley that we try to practice, and it helps our church culture go. And as these friends practice that as well, Together, they become tightly woven cords that are not easily broken from this outside pressure. For me personally, this, this brings back a memory from two years ago. Uh, right around this time, I was invited to a friend's 4th of July party. Our whole family was. And though I really wanted to go, um, I also really wanted to follow the rules um, that were prescribed to us at the time from our governor um, that wanted us to avoid these gatherings and then prescribed wearing a mask whenever leaving the house. No, I did not want to isolate. I'm, I'm pretty extroverted. No, this was not because I love staying at home or wearing masks, but I was convinced that as Romans 13 says, there's no authority except from God. 
And whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. I was so convinced of this that our whole family even went on a hike one time over the summer with all of us wearing masks, the kids included. And they even got like a little chafe rash on their face because probably had bad masks. I'm not sure. But through dialogue with a trusted mentor at church, who also knew the Constitution way better than me, I learned that the established authority that Romans 13 refers to in America is due to the structure of our government is in fact the Constitution, not necessarily our governor or elected official. And therefore, if the elected officials violate the Constitution, such as making laws without due process that prohibit the gathering of religious establishments or prohibit freedom of speech or even, you know, singing, as California churches were told not to do, or even preventing the right of people to assemble. Um, it was then these officials who were actually actively rebelling against God's appointed authority. And if we were to follow those officials, then we would be following them directly towards God's judgment, which is the very thing that I was trying to avoid by wearing a mask in the woods in the first place. I just kind of had my focus off. So were it not for these conversations and, and a few key ones that followed it, my wife and I could have easily pulled out of community and isolated ourselves for the two, past two years, all while believing that what we were doing was actually God's will. I'm grateful for those conversations. And as Ecclesiastes says, a singular braid is easily broken, just as an isolated person is easy to deceive. But when godly friends are bound together to further God's mission... They can become a resilient force that even the most enraged tyrant cannot overcome. And in Daniel chapter 3, we see our main characters come face to face with such a fury-filled, fire-wielding tyrant in King Nebuchadnezzar. As mentioned earlier, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they got themselves into a tense situation where the stakes were high. They had disobeyed the king and were told either you bow to an idol, forsaking the god that you serve, or you die a horrible, fiery death. Both options are not ones that you'd hope to find yourself choosing between. I can be sure of that. And it would just be easy if you were in their shoes to get caught up in this what-if scenario. The spin cycle of what-if. What if we disobey? Will the king really kill us? What if we just bow this one time and then we refuse like later when no one else is watching? What if I bow, but then the other two don't? What if they bow, but I don't? What if God doesn't save us? even if we choose not to bow. But in Daniel 3, 16 through 18, we don't see the men spiraling through the what-if spin cycle that can so easily entrap us in tough scenarios. Instead, we see a resolve, a strong confidence, and an even-if mentality within these men who replied to the king's threat by saying, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, those are key words there. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are committed to God even if it costs them everything they have, even if the worst possible things happen. Is there anything lately that's gotten you caught up in a spin cycle of what if? I can remember a time when I first moved to California where my wife, Elise, went up to the local university I was attending 
just to use their internet. We were new here, didn't even have that set up. And um, it was getting late and her phone died. And then it was getting later and I had no means to text her or call her. And I couldn't go out and look for her. We had a young baby upstairs sleeping and I felt obligated to stay and protect him even though he was asleep and he wasn't going to get out of his crib. So instead, I tried to do chores to keep my mind busy off the thought of the what ifs. But nevertheless, I got stuck in a what if spin cycle. Scenarios in my head included, um, my wife is gone. Someone has gotten her and I will now be raising my baby all by myself. I'm going to have to drop out of grad school, move back to Texas. That's it. I'm just going to leave. I'm just going to go. Baby's going to be fine. I'm going to go find her. Just as I'm getting ready to head out the door, with all my what-ifs going, Elise opens the door, perfectly fine. Hey, how's it going? To me, like, oh, yeah, it's fine. I'm doing great. Um, she definitely proved that all my what-ifs were just a complete waste of time, fret, and emotional energy. Maybe you've had some what-ifs that have gotten you stirred up lately. Some I've heard out there are, what if I lose my job? What if inflation keeps rising and my savings amount to nothing? What if our current currency becomes worthless? What if gas prices keep going up? What if the elections are unreliable and our country is beginning to dissolve? What if our government crashes due to massive amounts of debt? What if I get sick? What if my loved one gets sick and doesn't recover? What if my kids don't develop at the right pace? What if my kids follow God for now, but not later in their life? What if my spouse is not faithful? What if I never break this addiction? What if I never find the one? What if I don't have the energy, skill, or knowledge to complete the projects that I've been given? What if I drop the ball and lose all the credibility I've worked so hard to earn? What if? What if? What if? How about even if? Even if. This is what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego model for us before the king. So we can say like them, even if I lose my job. Even if inflation causes my savings to amount to nothing. Even if our current currency becomes worthless. Even if the elections are unreliable, governments crash, sick loved ones don't recover, spouses leave, kids don't develop, or they walk away. Even if I drop the ball, lack the energy, lose credibility. Those are all hard things. Even if, even if, even if. We say this with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who they said, We will not serve your gods or worship the golden image you have set up. And we too can say, We will not abandon the God that we serve, because he will not abandon us even if. So we confidently say, even if, about our circumstances, because we know that God works all things out to the good of those who love him and have been called according to his good purpose. We can also confidently say, even if, because we know that God is a master builder and he will not abandon the works of his hands. The work he has begun in us, he will carry it on to completion, even if worse comes to worse. And for our characters of focus today, it did. Because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they refused to conform to the king's commands and they're thrown into the fiery furnace. And these three men show us that nonconformity will cost you. Daniel 3:19-20 says, Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. If you recall, these three men, just two chapters prior, they were praised as being ten times better in wisdom and understanding than all the other magicians and enchanters in the whole kingdom. Just one chapter ago, the king promoted them to be over all the affairs of Babylon. Clearly, these were favored and skilled men whom the king would have wanted to keep on his team, but their lack of conformity to his mandate triggered him to where he was no longer thinking soundly but acting in fury-filled retaliation to squash this non-compliance. This past year in my community group, there were two men who respectfully declined to conform to their workplace's mandate for the COVID vaccine, and so they applied for religious exemptions. One was let go after over a decade of faithful and excellent service to the company. And the other was reassigned to work a newly formed odd graveyard shift to keep him away from the rest of the employees during the regular work days. He did this for months and months until he was able to find another scenario at a different company. In both these scenarios, uh, both of these separate employers, they lost a major skilled competent, respected, and tenured employee during a time where many companies were struggling to be fully staffed, to just do their normal day-to-day operations. At a time when much of the workforce was still at home, getting paid to do nothing. I don't say this necessarily to get in a debate about vaccines, but to emphasize the point of when you choose not to conform with the popular narrative, you will reap the consequences. These men in my community group, they were treated poorly and not honored for the contributions they had provided to their companies. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were literally thrown into fire. And even Jesus Christ himself. When Jesus refused to conform to the religious authorities' perspectives on God and the Jewish law, he was falsely accused, convicted, and then murdered at the hands of the Romans. But Jesus is willing, nevertheless, to follow his master. Luke 22, 41-42, as he's dealing with what he knows is coming, is his crucifixion, says that he withdrew about a stone's throw away from his disciples and he knelt down praying, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. If you don't know the end of the stories that we've been discussing today already, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego They're actually saved from the fiery furnace as an angel of the Lord joins them in the fire and protects them so much that not even one article of their clothing is singed or smells of smoke. Which if you've ever sat by a campfire before, you probably find that pretty surprising. So the king tells them to come out. But also, the stories of my friends that I mentioned to you um, from my community group, both of them ended up with different, and I would say, and I think they would say too, uh, better situations in their workplace, and also better situations for their family. And even more, we reference Jesus there at the end. Jesus doesn't stay dead. Praise God. Jesus rises from the dead, and he's seated at the right hand of God in heaven. And he will be coming back soon to bring his church with him and defeat his enemies once and for all. So if it's all a happy ending, why the hassle? Why in each of these scenarios does God let these people get tossed into the fire? If he was going to save Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if God was going to provide other jobs for my friends, 
and raised Jesus from the dead. Anyways, why let them go through the trouble to begin with? When I asked this question, a phrase came to my mind, and I found it in Proverbs 17.3. And it says, The crucible is for silver, and the furnace is for gold, and the Lord tests hearts. So I watched a few YouTube videos and saw what you use a crucible for. Pretty cool. So you put the silver in there and you heat it, heat it up. And when it's heated up, it's just like the gold, it turns into liquid. And when it's liquefied, then it can be reshaped into whatever mold you pour it into. So it's interesting, it goes from silver to gold to the Lord testing hearts. It's drawing that analogy on purpose. So it's saying when the Lord tests our hearts, it can take what is normally hard and stone-like within us, melt it down and make it soft and able to be reformed. And now God can pour us into whatever mold he sees fit. For our faith is forged by fire. It is during the times when things are heated up that when we get the opportunity to apply in reality the things that we just know in our heads to be true, but haven't experienced in our lives. We might believe that God will provide for us, but it's not until the heat of life kicks up and you lose your job, you don't make the sales, or you have unexpected expenses that our hearts can be melted down and then formed to realize that God is actually more real than your paycheck. God is actually more real than the health diagnosis or the challenging circumstances or the relationships before you. So as we faithfully stay in the fire, allowing God to shape us, we can also trust that our faithfulness to God can pave the way for others' salvation. So once a king recognized that God had miraculously saved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he flipped his previous ruling on its head, and he changed the law. Daniel 3, 29-30, King Nebuchadnezzar says, Therefore I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their house is laid to ruins. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king again promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not the only Jews in captivity at this time. There were three different waves of people getting pulled from Judah. There were other Jews out there facing this what-if versus even-if dilemma. Maybe some other Jews had actually bowed down to the idol just to save their own skin or, or be there for their kids. Maybe others were, they were resisting, but they were getting tired. Regardless, the faithfulness of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego paved the way for a very important law to change. And as a result, people's lives were saved. And they were delivered from this oppressive and demonic edict that the king had released. Back to what we started with in our time together. The 56 representatives who signed the Declaration of Independence. They also put their lives and livelihoods on the line for the cause of American independence. But they also created a, a wake behind them for generations to come and ski in in the future. Not just them, but men that also went before them. They paved a way for a group of people whose history was being under the monarchy to change a future where they could establish a government that works for the people, not a people that is subservient and serves the government. And without their actions, we'd have nothing to celebrate as a nation on the 4th of July. But even more so, Jesus Christ's faithfulness to God's mission 
while he was here on earth to live a perfect life and die on behalf of sinful humanity so that we could have a restored relationship with God. His faithfulness to do this paved the way for everyone in every nation under every form of government to live in complete freedom today. True freedom is having the ability to not sin. Some people would say true freedom is doing what you want, when you want, with who you want, where you want. The Bible tells us something different. It says that we are enslaved to sin. We cannot stop ourselves from jumping headlong into that which is wicked and against God. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, yes, you can. No, you will not be perfect here on this side of heaven, um, but you can make progress and you can grow in righteousness. So our faithfulness to God can pave the way for others' salvation. This is seen in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, seen in the signers of the Declaration of Independence, ultimately in Jesus Christ. So let's consider some next steps that you might be able to take today in response. Number one, as we mentioned, you can plug into community and seek to live an open and honest life. The cord of three strands is not easily broken. Isolated by yourself, easy to deceive, and to be broken. Together in community, there's strength. Number two, you could surrender a particular what-if scenario that has been plaguing you or bugging you lately. And you can declare, even if, fill in the blank, I will remain faithful. And I encourage you that when you do that, you say, even if this happens, God will be good. He will be faithful to me. Then you declare, you declare it and you move on. Because it hasn't happened But sometimes our mind plays games with us and we get stuck on these hypotheticals. So you just say, even if God will remain faithful, I'm going to do the next right thing. And lastly, follow just leadership aggressively and resist where biblical boundaries are crossed. Much of the time, you'll probably be just following well. At work, you don't like your boss, but you're probably just going to need to suck that up and follow well. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they followed to the extent to which they were forced to then choose between God and following their leaders and what the current current ruler had said to do. Proportionally, they probably followed a whole lot more than they resisted. But were they to follow in those key moments where they needed to resist, they would become what Proverbs 25, 26 says, like a muddied spring or a polluted fountain is a righteous man who gives way before the wicked. This makes me think of coming back from Recess as a kid, you're hot and sweaty. I grew up in Texas, so man, that water fountain was like, oh, it was a gold mine after recess. We used to count on each other's back. We'd give them like five seconds, say, you got to move, it's my turn. So imagine it's one of those hot Texas, muggy, sweaty summer days. You're getting off the recess and you're ready, you're ready. I need that, I need that ice cold water fountain. You run up there, remember you're a kid, you still like water fountains, not just smart water. So you You're running up there, you hunch over, you begin to gulp down as much as you can, gulp, 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 and then after a few seconds you realize you don't don't taste anything but this salty, muddy, rock-filled, thicker-than-normal brown water, and you just, yuck, you spit it all out. What a disappointment. How gross, right? This is what it's like when those who know God, and they simply step aside and let the wicked plow on through with their agendas. Those people of God who are supposed to bring refreshment to the world like, like a spring. A spring is supposed to do that. Those people of God who are supposed to bring refreshment to the world around them, they become soured and unable to minister when they step aside 
And as we remember our founding fathers who resisted the wicked this weekend, as well as Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who refused to give their devotion to anyone other than God, may we be encouraged as a church in the coming days to show grit, to follow God aggressively, and to refresh the community around us by standing firm even if. Will you pray with me? God, we love you. We thank you uh, for the freedoms that you have given us. We thank you for the church that you allowed us, uh, have allowed us to be a part of without persecution. We thank you for your word and the ways that we can hear it and learn and grow. Help us to do that. Help us to apply um, what we have learned today and to grow in you. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.